Well, Father, we got through another day today, most of it. Um, there's still some waking hours left. But we thank you for your provision and your grace today. We are reminded in Lamentations 3 that after a night of rest, when we wake up, the, the writer of that passage said, This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope that the steadfast love of the Lord is forever and that his compassions never come to an end. They are new every morning. That's a remarkable statement. It's, it's a statement that we do well to ponder because in all honesty, Lord, at times we find ourselves struggling to keep hope. We find ourselves somewhat overwhelmed. We find ourselves overworked and overburdened. And, and there are times we find ourselves fighting different things on so many fronts that our strength and our energy is severely taxed. We wonder how long we can keep this up. We, we don't say much about it, but if the truth were to be known, we're struggling to keep our motivation and uh, we at times feel that, quite frankly, you have forgotten us. And we are wondering why this time of difficulty continues without relief. Now, we've all been there. It's not always that way, but at times it is. And if anyone was ever in that position, it was the writer of Lamentations who had lost everything, lost his nation, lost his land, and he was struggling to keep perspective, and he was struggling to keep hope. But he says, he said, he said, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. There are things, Lord, that when we get weary and we get fatigued, or our emotions get the best of us, and we're not thinking clearly. We're not thinking straight because we're just worn out. But when we get our wits about us and we start thinking straight, we are reminded of the same thing he was reminded. And when we recall them to our minds, we have hope. And what is that? That your steadfast love is forever. Your mercies never come to an end, even though we're in a hard time. You haven't forgot to be merciful. You haven't forgotten the day to be merciful. Uh, your compassions never fail. They are new every morning. The amazing thing is, Lord, when we got up this morning, we didn't know what we were going to face, but we received your mercy, wisdom for an appointment that we weren't sure how to respond, uh, a phone call, an email. Uh, unforeseen things came into our lives uh, this week, but we received mercy. We received uh, a well-timed help. Uh, we have, Lord, the truth is we're not fighting the battle by ourselves. You bring people along with other gifts than we have. 
who come to our aid and assistance. And if we just stop and think about it, it's really a remarkable thing how you use others to help us. What we would like is for it to come to an end. But there is a reason we go through these things. And we are thankful that whatever it is guys in here tonight are dealing with and going through, all of our difficulties and our trials and our, and our adversities are under your sovereign hand. And these, these trials of life have a beginning, a middle, and an end. They are purposeful. They are not random. They are under your control. And there is something you are attempting to do in our lives. So... In spite of our fatigue and our weariness and the fact that at times we get weary in well-doing. Help us to think. And help us to be reminded of things that are true, that are facts, therefore we have hope. And that is that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Your love, your steadfast love is forever. And even when we go to sleep, the Bible says you give to your beloved even in their sleep. So we'll go to sleep tonight. We'll be exhausted. We'll nod off. We'll go to sleep. And you're working in our lives even as we are sleeping. You're never tired. You're never fatigued. You never get weary, ever. You've never lost an ounce of energy. And then we get up in the morning. We'll get up tomorrow, and there'll be more new mercies. And it'll be that way every day of our lives until you call us home. We'll have mercy every day until our dying breath. And then when we take that dying breath, it'll be our best breath because we'll see mercies we've never even been able to conjure up. Now, that's the truth. And it gives us hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to what I consider the most dangerous psalm in the Bible. I think uh, Psalm 23 is a dangerous psalm because of this reason it is so familiar to us. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, Christians know this psalm. Non-Christians are aware of this psalm. I remember after the terrorist attacks of 9-11, that, uh, you know, we were all glued to our televisions for days afterwards, and you recall, uh, you'd be watching some news channel, and they would, well, let's go to this um, funeral service. Let's go to this memorial service for a firefighter or, or for uh, a police officer or someone who had to jump out of the tower or from the Pentagon. You remember that. And I remember on several occasions, as they cut into the service, uh, someone was reading Psalm 23. Uh, it's, it's appropriate. Psalm 23 is at a funeral service. But uh, Psalm 23 is very, very appropriate for everyday life. To, to me, Psalm 23 is a cliff note of the entire Christian life. It's only six verses long. Now, I know most of you guys have no idea what a cliff note is. But when I was in college, Cliff Notes had a significant ministry in my life. I, I can remember, I went to college in Southern California, um, not too far from the beach. Um, wasn't the greatest student back then. Uh, wasn't real focused on my studies. 
had a lot of other things on my mind. And I, I recall after one glorious, the weather we had here today, that's pretty typical, Southern California. A little overcast in the morning, by 11 o'clock it burns off. Uh, really not where you want to go to school to learn anything. It's, uh, you, you're just, you got too many distractions. But I remember coming back to my room uh, late on a Sunday night, and, uh, you know, I had an early class, an 11 o'clock class the next morning. <laughs> and I'm kind of thinking about the next day, and I really don't want to go. I realized, you know what, I got that paper due on uh, war and peace. Uh, I'd never read the book. I'm not sure I'd ever seen the book. But because it was a university town, uh, these bookstores stayed open real late. I went down, and there was a rack of black and yellow cover books at the time called Cliff Notes. And sure enough, there was one there on war and peace, about an 800-page read. But if you get the Cliff Note in 80 pages, you get the sense. Uh, a Cliff Note is a summary. A Cliff Note is a compendium. Uh, it'll give you the gist. With all reverence, I, I think Psalm 23 is a cliff note to the entire Christian life. Every word is God-breathed. Every word is inspired. There's not a wasted word in here. And the concepts, the concepts are, are, are seriously life-changing. Um, I'm going to try and do the first three verses tonight, and then next week we'll do the next three. But, um, you know, Yogi Berra is, Yogi Berra was a great player with the Yankees. Yogi Berra has 10 World Series rings. Uh, great hitter, great catcher. Yogi, but Yogi also knew how to turn a phrase. No one else quite like Yogi Berra. And, uh, you know, Yogi, I, I, I remember talking to Craig Reynolds, who used to play for the Houston Astros. And I remember he, we were talking one afternoon, and he was telling me about the time he spent with Yogi Berra. And he said, these things just come out of his mouth. I mean, you, you, you almost want to just have a, a pen and paper around just, just to record them. I mean, they just flawed. Yogi was the guy who said it ain't over till it's over. Now, we all know that. But he put a spin on it. Uh, Yogi's the guy who said, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> and he did say that. But see, and that makes no sense until you, know, you hear the story that where he and his wife lived was out a ways from New York City uh, somewhat country at the time, and you'd take a left, and then you'd take a right, and you'd come to a fork in the road, and there were a lot of trees, and there was a fork in the road, but you see, what you couldn't tell from the trees is that the fork in the road came back together, and it was all connected, and they lived behind that grove of trees, so Yogi would say, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. You go left, You'll get to my house. 
You go right, you'll get to my house. It did make sense. I read his biography years ago, and he was telling the story uh, of playing the, uh, the A's when the A's, you know, the A's haven't always been in Oakland. They used to be, anybody know? Used to be in Kansas City. And, and you know, now after the games, they got these tables of food and these guys, you know, get their meal money. It's pretty, it's a nice, nice gig. But back then, after the game, Yogi was going to stop and get a pizza. There was this pizza joint he knew of in Kansas City. He really liked. He called them. He ordered a medium pepperoni. He uh, goes by and pick it up on the way back to the hotel, and he's walking in, and they know him, and the guy said, hey, Mr. Bear, I forgot to ask you, your medium pepperoni, you want that cut in six slices or 12? Yogi thought for a minute, you know, you better make it six. I don't think I can eat 12. <laughs> now, that's, that's just classic, is it not? Psalm 23 has already been sliced. It's been sliced for us. The theme of Psalm 23, the central idea, and every other verse, every other line in all six verses hangs off the central theme. Uh, this, is, this is tight. This is, this is tight writing. The theme, every other line, every other verse in some way amplifies or explains the theme. And the theme, the main idea is the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Uh, everybody has a shepherd. Everybody. The shepherd of your life is the most important thing in your life. What is it that you are following? Or who is it that you are following? In John chapter 10, Jesus made a statement that is significant because when, you know, we're in Texas, and Texas is part of what we call the Bible Belt, a lot of people in the Bible Belt, not as many as it used to be because things are changing, but there's a danger to living in a, in, a, in a Bible Belt that you don't get in living in other sections of the country where there's not a lot of Christianity and church attendance is low and, well, it's just not the Bible Belt. Two different cultures. But the, 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 the danger of living in the Bible Belt is that everybody goes to church, you've been in church, you know all the verses to all the hymns, and, you know, everybody's grandpa was a Methodist preacher uh, or a Baptist preacher or some kind of preacher somewhere along the line. And see, what happens is, because you've been immersed in this, you think that the Lord is your shepherd. But that's not always the case. Yeah, you know all the verses. You don't have to open a hymn, though. You know all the verses by heart. And you, you know Scripture, because you've heard it since you were a kid. How do you know if the Lord is your shepherd? In John 10, verse 27, Jesus said this. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, now watch this, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Interestingly enough, at, uh, there, there are times when 
different shepherds will bring their flocks together at different times around the same spring or the same watering hole in Israel. And the sheep will intermingle as they're drinking. Now, when, and, and especially, you know, a couple thousand years ago, when it's time to leave, how in the world, and it depends on how many sheep are there, but you could have, you know, you, you could have 100 sheep, you could have 200 sheep gathering around the same area, just watering, you know, for the next day or two. How in the world do you call out your sheep from the other sheep? How do you identify your sheep? Well, interestingly enough, here's what they would do. When the shepherd was ready to go, he would simply call out to his sheep. Now, all of the sheep would hear his voice. The difference was that his sheep would hear his voice and they would do something the other sheep didn't do. You see, they'd hear him, but they would follow him. Question is, who are you following? There's a difference in knowing about Christ and knowing Christ. When you know him in your heart of hearts, when he has done a work in your life and drawn you to yourself and you've heard the gospel, I'll quote 1 Corinthians 15 again. Paul said, I delivered you as of first importance. This is the most important thing in the world. And it comes down to who your shepherd is. I delivered to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, to Peter, he appeared to the twelve, he appeared to over 500 at one time. That's the gospel. Uh, why did he die? He died, for, he died for your sins, he died for mine. He went to the cross, he who knew no sin became sin. That's the gospel. And so as a result, and, and this happens in a lot of church, just church cultures, um, we do different things to earn God's approval. Earlier, before we got started, we were talking about legalism in different churches, and certain churches don't do different things, trying to get God's approval, trying to be holy. Uh, some, you know, I mean, in my church, we didn't go to movies. Now, um, those are the movies we watch. Because they're so clean. If there's a time to go to movies, it would be now, to, to not go. Um, there's such moral confusion. Back then, they were clean as a whistle, and we couldn't go to movies. I remember the first time I walked into a movie theater, I was 15. And I really, I'm going to tell you something. I was a little nervous. Because what I'd always been taught, and what my grandma told me, what if Jesus came back and you were in a movie theater? And, she, and I'm telling you something, she was a fine lady who loved the Lord, but she really believed that. <laughs> to this day, I get nervous going to a movie theater. <laughs> and when you thought, think about it, I mean, he can find you in a movie theater. Doesn't matter where you are, does it? How crazy. We're, hey, we're not saved on the basis of our works, what we do or don't do. We are saved Purely by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. That he went to the cross in my place and in your place, and he died for our sins, and we trust in him alone. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's just Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is my God. He's my protector. He's my sovereign defender. He's my sovereign keeper. 
He's everything I need. He is all-sufficient. I have this life because he gave me my life. Okay. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Who are you following? And see, we have, this is where we get into idolatry. And you read in the Old Testament, and they had all these different idols they would worship, and all these gods they'd sacrifice to. Man, we're beyond that. Actually, we're not. We just have different idols. Some guys uh, live in their idols. Some guys uh, drive their idols. Some guys uh, write tuition checks for their idols. They're all kinds of idols. Your health can be an idol. Your looks can be an idol. Most of you guys, that's not the idol you want. I mean, we got some ugly guys in here. So you need another idol, I would hope. But you get my drift. Anything can become an idol. It's what's the most important to you. It's what you're following. It's what you think about all the time. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, that's interesting that the Lord would have David pin this psalm. Because um, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd... What does that make David? Makes David a sheep. Uh, there are close to 200 references in the Bible where God calls his people sheep. Uh, there's probably another 150. And I'm doing this off the top of my head. I can't remember the exact number. But the word lambs, way over 100. Uh, shepherd, got to be close to 100 references. When you take those different um, lambs, sheep, shepherds, God's always calling his people sheep. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. David says the Lord is my shepherd. What does that make David? It makes him a sheep. Now, if, if God uses that metaphor so many times in Scripture that he is the shepherd, we are the sheep. (laughs) See, this was my foolishness 30 years ago when I didn't want to do the message on Psalm 23 in the series I was doing on Psalms because I thought that I really had Psalm 23 down. I was familiar with it. I wasn't familiar with it. I knew the words, but I didn't know anything behind it because I didn't know anything about sheep. And that week of study on Psalm 23, when I started digging in, The symbolism, the significance, the word pictures that he's the shepherd, we're the sheep, it was astonishing to me. And I just keep reading stuff on Psalm 23. Uh, I had to put, I was was mentioning earlier, I was reading Joel Beakey's uh, accumulated sermons on Psalm 23. It's got to be, I didn't even look at the page count. It had to be 300 pages, small type. I had to put it down because I thought, i got to teach on this stuff, and if I read this thing, I'll, I'll, I'll be teaching through Christmas on Psalm 23, and we'll only have two more sessions. There's so much stuff. Okay. When I did that research 30 years ago on Psalm 23, and I found out that God calls me a sheep 200 times, I thought, I better find, all right, that, that's significant. 200 times he calls me a sheep. I better do some homework on sheep. So I did. Top three things I found about sheep. Let me give them to you. Number one, sheep are stupid. <laughs> primary, primary characteristic of a sheep is stupidity. And over 200 times in the Bible, God calls me a sheep. And it fits. 
um, when our kids were young, we took them to the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. And it was great. We just, the kids loved it. We loved it. It was so much fun. We went back the next year. We went six, seven, maybe eight years in a row. We just kept going back. It was just a great, it was the greatest show on earth. We just kept going back. Those six, seven, eight years, we went to that uh, circus. Each year, we saw trained animals. Every year, they had a trained animal act. I've seen trained lions. I've seen trained tigers. I've seen trained horses. I've, trained, I've seen trained seals. I've seen trained poodles. I've never seen trained sheep. And neither of you. Ed Sullivan never had trained sheep. <laughs> because nobody trains sheep because sheep are stupid. And 200 times in the scripture, God calls me a sheep. It fits. I'll, let me give you an example. I'll say to myself, why did I say that? I'm stupid. Let me give you another one. Why, why did I do that? I'm stupid. Here's one for the ages. Man, I'll never do that again. <laughs> and you're chuckling. Why are you chuckling? You're as stupid as I am. <laughs> We're all in the same boat. See, this is why we have so many regrets over our past years. Because we have been so stupid and we think we're so cotton-picking brilliant. And we're not. But we think we are. We've, we've, got, we've all got pretty high self-esteem. Even if you've got low self-esteem. Because you don't want anybody telling you what to do and neither do I. Sheep are stupid. And when you're that stupid, you really need a shepherd to guide you through life. And not only a shepherd to guide you through life, but a shepherd who can forgive your sin that was made not out of, only out of stupidity, but out of selfishness. You see? How do you ever reconcile the things in your life that you have done that have harmed other people, wounded people, and you look back now and you just shake your head. How could I have been so stupid? Well, it's because you're a sinner, and I am a sinner. All have sinned, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But you turn over to Romans 6.23, the old Romans road. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Christ died for our sins. And you know, the amazing thing about Christ, our shepherd, all our stupidity, all of the things that the enemy is constantly bringing back to my mind. How many times have we talked about this? The enemy, the enemy his, his, one of his main strategies to neutralize a Christian man in the present is to bring up his past. And when he brings up our past, it paralyzes us because of our, our, our regret and why did I do such a thing and how could I have been that kind of person and all that. Well, you see, and you, just get all, you just get all frozen. Uh, 
But you know, the amazing thing about our shepherd is that he not only died for our sin, and when we repent of our sin and turn to him, he forgives our sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you confess the sin you're aware of, when you confess the sin, and, and really, what else can you confess except what you're aware of? You've got to be aware, and, and oftentimes we're aware of a specific sin that we have done. When you confess that, he is such a great Savior that he not only forgives us of that sin, but he cleanses us from all sin. Because, you see, we're blind to sin. How many times a day, I, I have blind spots and you have blind spots. He is such a great Savior. You talk about our stupidity. We, 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 we still have a virus of stupidity within us because a lot of times we sin against others, we sin against God, and we don't even see it. We've all got blind spots. So here's what Jesus does, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you confess what you know, he's such a great Savior, he just cleans it all. That's amazing. Is that not amazing? That's amazing grace. Someone ought to write a hymn about that. That's astonishing grace. Oh, and here's the other thing. Not only does he forgive us of all of our sin. But he forgets our sin. It's actually Hebrews 10, 17. And it simply says this. If you found it, I've got it, uh, I've got it marked in yellow in my Bible and underlined in black ink, and I've got it circled. Because I don't ever want to forget this. It simply says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. That's astonishing. He not, and see, I'm always remembering my past. What he does for me and my stupidity, what he does for me, I turn to him, I confess my sin, he forgives my sin, he forgets my sin. That's astonishing. That's astonishing. So when past sin is brought up to you, you know that he is not the source. You know it's the enemy, the accuser of the brethren. Sheep are stupid. First characteristic of a sheep. Let me give you the second characteristic of a sheep. Uh, sheep are dirty. There's not a lot of rainfall in Israel, and oftentimes uh, pasture lands will get overgrazed. Um, there's not enough rainfall. And you've got, you've got um, instead of green grass, you've got dirt. You've got dust. And what happens is the thick, heavy wool coats of those sheep gets dirty. Some animals have an instinct for hygiene. You ever been around a little kitten? We used to have a little kitten at our house. So it was always, you know, just, just licking itself. You know, my kids licked themselves for years. They were <laughs> just influenced by that little kitten. Uh, that's an instinct in cat for hygiene. Sheep don't have that. And so what happens is sheep, um, they get dirty. And that dirt accumulates in that thick, heavy wool coat. And if they're not washed, 
And the problem is they can't wash themselves. If they're not washed and those heavy wool coats are not cleaned frequently, what happens is that dirt accumulates and then it's not many weeks before maggots begin to form and before skin disease and all kinds of terrible things happen to the sheep that can kill them. Um, I notice as I go through life, I have uh, sometimes dirty thoughts. I have uh, dirty attitudes. I'll have a dirty response. I get dirty as I go through life. And once again, I can't make myself clean. So what do I need? I need a shepherd who can make me clean. I need a shepherd who has given me 1 John 1, 9. Because I can't clean myself. Once again, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Martin Luther could not find peace with God back in the 1500s. He would confess sin till he would drop over. He, he was a Roman Catholic scholar. He thought he was justified by works. And he went through torment. He could not find peace with God, and one day he was reading Galatians and then Romans, and he came across the phrase, the just shall live by faith, and it dawned on him, I'm justified by what Jesus did. It changed the whole world. It was called the Reformation. Sheep are not only uh, stupid, and sheep are not only dirty, but sheep are defenseless. Now, this one shocked me. I never saw this one coming. Um, just about, I, I, well, let me put it this way. I can't think of any animal that God has not created with some kind of defensive mechanism to fight off enemies. Can't think of one, except sheep. Sheep are utterly and totally defenseless. There have been known instances of a raven or a crow swooping down and landing on the head of a sheep and plucking out its eyeballs. Now, that's a horrible thing to ponder. But let me ask you something. What's the sheep going to do? Bark? <laughs> What's he going to do? Emit a noxious odor? What's he going to do? Claw the bird to death? He's not going to do anything because he is utterly and completely defenseless. We are big time into defense. Uh, most of you guys at your home, you've got a home security system. And you punch in your four numbers, which we all know uh, that's your year of birth. <laughs> that's all we need to know about you, and we've got you. You punch in that year of birth, and uh, as you're going to bed, and it arms the system. And then when you get up in the morning, you hit the four numbers, and it disarms it. Uh, so you can go out the door, you know, and, and, and you know the drill, how that works. Uh, after those terrorist attacks of 9-11, we, we started a whole new federal bureaucracy called Homeland Defense. We're always thinking about defense. You love your kids, you love your grandkids, can you be with them 24-7? And the answer is no. Uh, there are all times in life, there are times in all of our lives when we are absolutely vulnerable. 
and you're reminded that uh, you're not as strong as you think you are. Uh, healthy men get uh, suddenly get sick, and they find themselves uh, with a weakened immune system, and they have no defense. Or your business, which has been doing fine, suddenly there is this or this or this, and um, you can't stave off bankruptcy. You know what I'm talking about. The fact is, we are all extremely vulnerable. That's why David said in Psalm 27, the Lord is the defense of my life. Whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I dread? Is there anything or anyone that causes you dread right now in your life? And you may say, well, I've got this going on, and I've got this going on, and I've got this going on. And if we heard your circumstances, we would all agree those are very real threats. But the Lord is the defense of your life. He gave you your life. He sustains your life. Nothing can touch you apart from his hand. No one can thwart his plan for your life. Doesn't mean we don't go through things. Doesn't mean afflictions don't happen to us. But you see, when afflictions come, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, ultimately they come from the hand of the Lord, good and bad. Ecclesiastes 7, consider the work of God who can straighten what he has bent. In the day of prosperity, be glad. In the day of adversity, consider, for God has made the one as well as the other. When hardship and adversity comes into our life, if you've got a proper view, watch this, of your shepherd, you know that nothing is outside of his control. If there's an affliction, if there's a hardship, it's by his appointment. He is overseeing it. He is governing it. As we said last week about Job, the enemy wanted to afflict Job, but he had to come to the Father and get permission, and God put strict parameters on him as to what he could do and what he could not do, which tells me that the enemy, the spiritual enemy, the devil, is not in control. He is not equal with God. He is a servant of God. Is it Psalm 119, 91? All things are thy servants. All things. That's why one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This is my shepherd, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. There's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. This is the Trinity. You say, that's very confusing. Join the club. It's what the Bible teaches. You have God the Father, you have God the Son, you have God the Spirit. The Father is God. Jesus is God, the Son. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is God. But the Father is not Jesus, and Jesus is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. It's what it teaches. We just don't have the bandwidth to get it. But it's what the Bible clearly teaches. When it says, the Lord is my shepherd... Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. But see, with that, the Lord, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay. 
And let me tell you, when you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, <laughs> that's what you call defense. You don't have to dread anybody or anything. It doesn't mean difficult times won't come. It doesn't mean you won't go through hardship. You will. But it means that he will sustain you. He will make a way. And that he... <laughs> We can't say this enough. These things are for a reason. These things are for a purpose when they come into my life. And at times they're life-threatening. There are guys in here, and uh, your, your well-being financially is, quite frankly, is being threatened right now. Absolutely being threatened. Um. Or your health is being threatened. But see, ultimately, that's in God's hand. And whatever it is you go through, it is redemptive and it is purposeful. And there are lessons that are learned in those seasons of life that are learned nowhere else. And he will shepherd you through, as we will see uh, next week. Okay. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. When it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, it, it means that all the needs of my life, all the circumstances of my life, all of the issues of my life, all of the concerns of my life are under the control, the sovereignty, and the providence of the shepherd who gave me life, who, who oversaw my conception, planned it from before the foundations of the world, determined the moment of my mirth, determined the moment of my death. That is Hebrews 9. It's appointed for a man once to die and has determined my eternal life with him forever and will sustain me until all of that happens. That's my shepherd. See, when you say the Lord is my shepherd, you got to ask yourself, well, who is your Lord? He is sovereign. He has all power. He has all control. If things come into my life, it's purposeful. He will take me through it. Every time of suffering has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It will not always be this way, but it's this way now because he's going to teach me lessons I can't learn in any other way. That's your perspective. The Lord is the defense of my life. Yeah, but I'm going to court. You may go to court, but God owns the judge who will make the decision. And he owns the jury. Well, there could be tampering. Well, I'm telling you there's tampering. <laughs> and he tampers. We're too man-centered. <clears throat> Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. God runs every human heart. Every human heart. Even when it turns against you, he runs them. Okay. Now, I, I just can't go into that anymore. Because I've got two more verses and I got 16 minutes. Now, here's what happens when the Lord is your shepherd. There are benefits when you can say from your heart of heart, "The Lord is my shepherd. I'm following Jesus Christ." There are certain benefits when you believe the gospel and trust in Christ alone. There are certain benefits that come into your life, and the rest of the psalm is about the benefits that belong to those who are his people and the sheep of his pasture. It's just a listing of benefits. When you interviewed for wherever it is you work and all of that, and they told you the salary and the vacation, you got into the benefits. Benefit pack, it's the greatest benefit package in the history of the world. And we're going to see, it's almost as though what's happening in Psalm 23 
I mean, just to use your imagination, David's a sheep. It's, it's like he's had his water and his feed, his grass, and he's on a hillside. And it's almost as though he's looking at Jesus, the great shepherd, and he's observing what Jesus is like and what it is that Jesus does for the sheep. And the first thing that he says, beginning in verse 2, he says this. He tells us that the shepherd gives us rest. Rest. I find this really interesting that that would be the first thing that is mentioned. Because in Psalm 23, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Interesting choice of words. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Uh, one of the things that was always interesting to me about my kids, especially when they were small, is that they were never tired. Never. Now, they might be so tired that they couldn't stand up straight and their speech would slur. And I might say, uh, Josh, are you tired? No, Dad, I'm not tired. Why will kids not admit to being tired? Well, because if they admit to being tired, their parents will do the worst thing that a parent could ever do for a child, to a child, which is to make them lie down and take a nap. The worst thing you can do to a kid is to make them take a nap. Now, the parents would kill for a nap because we're exhausted. We can't even see straight. I remember John when he was a little guy, maybe a year and a half. Mary was somewhere with Rachel, and I had John. It was nap time. And so I said, all right, John, it's nap time. He didn't want, mm, no, no nap day. Hmm, I remember that. Mm, no nap. Well, we're going to take a nap. He's going to take a nap. So I changed his diaper, and the whole time, mm, no nap, Daddy. And, you know, I changed his diaper, got him in his little jammies with the feet in them. You remember those jammies. I love those jammies. Wish they came in my size, but that's another issue. <laughs> And I pick him up, and we go upstairs the whole time. Mm, no nap, Daddy, no nap. Well, we walk in, put him down on his crib on his tummy. I said, all right, you take your nap. I walked out, and I stood there, shut the door, because I knew what was going to happen. And I can hear him in there, you know, banging on the crib, you know, the railing. He has no interest in taking a nap. I give him about two minutes, and I walk back in. I put him back down on his tummy, and I stand there, and I put my hand on his back, and he didn't like that at all. It really bugged him. Mm, Daddy, no nap, no nap. I didn't say a word. I just put my hand on his back. And he kept resisting me, so I put just a little more pressure on his back, just a little bit. And then a little bit. And then a little bit. And in 90 seconds, he was out. Just like this gentleman over here. <laughs> I just kid. See, here's the thing about little kids. Little kids aren't smart enough to know when they're exhausted. And neither are big kids. We have a pace of life, and we have all tasted deeply of the Kool-Aid. We have a pace of life in this country that is insane. It's insane. We have named our pace. We're proud of it. I remember reading in the 90s where the Japanese actually put in more hours in a given work week than Americans. And somehow the word got out because we quickly got it back. 
We, we, our pace of life we call 24-7. That means we think we can go 24-7. I probably told you this. That a number of years ago, a buddy of mine was speaking at a conference with Dr. Dobson, and they had a question and answer time, and someone asked Dr. Dobson, what's the greatest threat to the American family? And Dr. Dobson said, fatigue. Not pornography, not adultery, not this, not that. Not all the things we think would be the great fatigue. People are exhausted. They're just exhausted. Absolutely worn out and exhausted. Because we have our goals, we have our dreams, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to accomplish, we're going to achieve, we're going to do all this stuff. Um, you know, there's actually a concept in the Bible called the Sabbath. Fascinating. It's in there. And it comes from creation, as you know, where God created the world in six days and then God rested on the seventh. That's kind of fascinating because God doesn't get tired. Why did he rest? He rested as an example to us. Now, things change getting into the New Testament. There's not a particular day of rest. Romans 14, uh, one man considers one day as more important than another. Another man considers every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his mind. It doesn't matter which day, but you better have some kind of day of rest. You can't keep going. So you can't go 24-7. You ever had someone call you real early in the morning? I mean real early, like 3.15. And you knock the lamp over picking up the phone, and you, you finally go, hello? Oh, did I wake you? <laughs> and what do you say? No. 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 Oh, no, oh, no, I was up. I'm always up at 3.15. Yeah, I go to bed at 3, get up at 3.15. <laughs> Whenever somebody asks us if we were asleep, we're ashamed they caught us sleeping. We're ashamed they caught us resting. Why? Because we have this mantra, you just go and go and go and go and go. You can't have a good marriage if all you do is go and go and go and go. And all your wife does is go and go and go. And how do you know what's in the hearts of your kids? If you're going, 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 they're going, going, going. Go. You see what I'm saying? It's insane, all this activity. It's insane. I'm telling you, <laughs> one of the biggest idols in America is sports. I love sports, played sports. My dad loved it. We love sports, but we love Jesus more. We love his people more, love his church more. It's all a matter of perspective. Uh, okay. And see, here's what happens. Sometimes we get so taken with our own plans and our own dreams and our objectives, I'm gonna do this and this and this and this, that every once in a while, hey, know this, if the Lord is your shepherd, he can interrupt your plans at any moment. And often he does. He makes me lie down. Have you ever talked to someone who's had a heart attack? And you talk to him a year later, and you'll hear something along these lines, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. You've heard that many times. Why? Because uh, I was taken out of the normal mainstream of my life and the activities, and I actually was in a bed, and I had time to actually think about my life. I remember talking to a guy in Sacramento. I'll never forget this guy. We were doing a conference, and at one of the breaks, he said to me, you know, Steve, I've been out of work. I'm almost sure he said 21 months. It might have been 19 months. He said, I start a new job on Monday. I said, really? 
He said, yeah, I remember when, we, when I got laid off and my wife had lost her job and we looked at each other and said, how in the world are we going to make it? We might be able to make it. I think he said they were pretty frugal and, you know, they were careful people. We, we can make it probably 90 days. A lot of folks couldn't make it 90 days. We think we can make it 90 days. And the 90 days went by and we made it. And we still had funds. He said, I wouldn't trade this 21 months for anything in the world. We've seen the faithfulness of God. He said, you know what? It's been one of the greatest things that ever happened to me, to see the faithfulness of God to his promises. I, I've, I've, I've been trying to find a job. I've been working so hard to get a job and all of this. And where's the money going to And it comes in. Some, and it's been, it's been astonishing to us. It's been, it's been great for our kids to see. Isn't that interesting? And what happened? God made him lie down because, see, when you lose your job, he's making you lie down. Sometimes God takes us out of the mainstream, the pace, he makes us lie down because there are lessons to be learned. Lessons are learned, then you pick up, and hopefully it's back to a more balanced, reasonable pace. He makes me lie down. Oh, by the way, he makes me lie down in green pastures. I have, a, did you catch that green pastures? You're a sheep. You know what sheep love? They love green pastures. I mean, they're big in the green pastures. Now, may I say this to you? Oftentimes, when God makes his people lie down, they look around in their circumstances, and you don't see green. Um, I have a theory. In the Christian life, there are many shades of green, and one of them is brown. One of them is desert. One of them is wilderness. I've alluded to the depression I went through in my early 30s where I was just an absolute wreck and thought I'd, I'd never had that before. I, I, I had these crying jags, and I really, I was, I was scared out of my wits because I'd never been like that. I, I didn't know how to fix it. I thought I was going to wind up, I thought I was going to be committed. So, uh, in all honesty, I, I did not have any frame of reference. That was the worst thing that had ever happened to me, and I was... Anyway. I, I, it was horrific. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I'm telling you, there was nothing... From my perspective, at that time in my life, that was green. Now, 30-some years later, I look back on that three years, all I see is green. All I see. The lessons that I learned. The truths that I was taught. Every man of God, every follower of Christ will have his time in the wilderness. And at the time, you don't see green, you don't see the goodness of God, you don't see the favor of God, but as John Flavel used to say, give it five years, give it 10 years, give it 15 years. Flavel used to say, by the way, Hebrew, the Hebrew language, is backwards to English. English reads left to right, Hebrew reads right to left. You have a Hebrew Bible, Genesis is in the back. So Hebrew is backwards to us. John Flavel said, some providences of God, like Hebrew letters, are best understood backwards. 
You're in a chapter of life. It makes no sense. You feel God's left his, taking his hand off of you, a favor and blessing. All you see is brown. Well, go down the trail 5, 10, 15 years back and look back and you'll see the goodness and the providence of God. Perspective changes. David said, it was good for me that I was afflicted. Yes. He makes me lie down. He gives me rest when I need it. But see, there's something else that he gives immediately. He gives me leadership. You see this here? He leads me. The next line. He leads me beside quiet waters. You guys still with me or am I boring you? He leads me beside quiet waters. Um, I didn't know this, but there, I found out there are two ways in the world that shepherds lead their sheep. They do it one way in Israel. They do it another way in the Western Hemisphere. There are more sheep in Australia and New Zealand than anywhere else in the world. Uh, the Central Valley of California, around Bakersfield, where I grew up, there are a lot of Basque folks uh, that came from the Pyrenees Mountains, that uh, mountain range that divides Spain and France, Basque shepherds. I remember seeing Basque shepherds when I was a kid out in the country. Um, but the way that they, that shepherds lead sheep in America or in Australia and New Zealand is different than Israel. Uh, some of you guys remember the TV show Rawhide. Gil Faber, Riley Yates, Wishbone drove the chuck wagon. Uh, what a great show. It was on CBS for eight years. Um, they never got there, but uh, what a great show. What happened last week? I missed last week. Well, they drove the cattle. They never got there, but you know, hey, it was worth watching. The greatest thing about uh, Rawhide was the theme song. Frankie Lane would sing. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Though the streams are swollen, keep them doggies rolling. Let's stand and sing that together. <laughs> we'll sing the first and the fourth verse. Some of you guys are pathetic. You know all four verses. But what a song and what a show. But that song, when you break it down, there was one verse that keep them rolling, rolling, rolling. Though the streams are swollen, keep them doggies rolling. Raw hide no time to understand them. Just ride and rope and brand them. I'm glad 200 times in the Bible God didn't call me a doggie. <laughs> See, he understands my thought from afar. When I'm broken, he, he knows why. He gets your heart. He knows what's going on in, you, in your life. He understands you better than you understand yourself. See, sometimes we do stuff and we say, why did I do that? You don't even know. He knows. Why am I so angry? I don't have a clue. He knows. He knows everything about you. Everything. What's interesting to me is that in Australia, New Zealand, and Central California, shepherds tend to lead their sheep from behind, just like a cattle drive. Cattle drive, they're pushing. They're pushing the cattle. They're pushing. They're pushing. What's interesting, and you go to Israel, you know where you'll see the shepherd in Israel? You don't see them behind the sheep. You see them out in front 
of the sheep. And I would refer you back to John 10. And there's an application here. And in John chapter 10, once again, speaking of Jesus, the great shepherd, in verse 3, it says, To him the doorkeeper opens. I'm in John 10, 3. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. Watch this. He leads them out. He leads me. Now watch how he leads them. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them. What I'm trying to say to you is, he leads me. How does he lead me? Behind me? Pushing me? Driving me? No. When Jesus leads his sheep, he's not behind the sheep. He's out in front of the sheep leading. And what happens to us is that we have anxiety and worry that comes into our lives as we're walking the trail of life. Most of our anxiety is about what's out ahead of us. It's about our future. We've got this threat, or I got this, or I got this coming, or I got this. So our anxiety tends to be future. Now, when you stop and think about where Jesus is when he leads you, he leads me. He's out in front of me. Sometimes we get, I, I remember when Mary was pregnant with Josh, and she'd been on some medication, and these doctors at Stanford, this one doctor said, you're going to have a little monster, you've got to abort this child. I mean, the pressure that was put on her, and I'm in the hospital with meningitis while she's over there at Stanford. Uh, it was a terrible time. That's in the, that was something else going on in the midst of that depression. You're going to have a little monster. Oh, thanks for the encouragement. I was in the hospital. Mary comes in and tells me what this guy said. So we had to wait for months and months because we weren't going to abort that little baby. Hey, every kid is flawed. That's not our call. That's God's call. So we got to wait for what? How many months? Six months to see what this kid's going to be? And when he was born at Stanford Hospital, as soon as he came out, that door, there was those, those wing doors. And I mean, as I recall two doctors and two nurses besides those who were delivering, hit that door like, like that, shocked me. I turned. They took him, put him on a table, and they started examining him because she'd been a case study at Stanford because she had such complications, and they were afraid what this kid was going to look like. I'll never forget that. Months and months and months of, oh, my gosh, anxiety. I remember my friend's, uh, his wife you know, had to have a biopsy and all that. And I called, what's the word? We won't know for 16 days. They had anxiety about 16 days. See, in that case, their anxiety was in the future 16 days out. For us, it was six months out. Maybe you've heard rumors there'll be layoffs where you work in 30 days. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. If the Lord is your shepherd and you're anxious about 16 days out, Jesus is already there. He's in front of you. Are you concerned about 30 days out or six months? He's already there. You concerned about July? He owns July. He invented July. He controls everything about July and every other day until he returns. See, that's my shepherd. And see, when I put it that, in that perspective, It makes a difference. Does it not? Amen. He leads me. And see, I haven't even gotten to <laughs> he leads me beside still waters, and that clock's got four zeros on it. 
He leads me beside still waters. Sheep are deathly afraid of wadis. What? Wadis. W-A-D-I apostrophe S. Wadis, you'll see them in Israel on the hillsides. They're dry uh, creek beds. But every once in a while when they get a big storm, those wadis fill up like that. And sometimes sheep are thirsty. They don't have any water. But a sheep will die before he'll drink from a fast-moving body of water. You know why? He intuitively knows that if he were to fall into a fast-moving body of water, he'd never survive. Sheep are absolutely afraid of fast-moving body of waters. So you know what the good shepherd does? He's got a wadi. He knows the sheep are afraid. So you know what that good shepherd does? He will make a little trench. He will divert. He'll find some ground that's level, and he will dig a little trench, get rocks, and he will divert some of that water onto level ground. And what he will do for his sheep is that he will take that fast-moving body of water, and he will work diligently to actually still the waters so that the sheep can drink of the waters. Jesus has always been in the business of stilling the water. Has he not? He's exhausted from doing miracles all day long. He gets into the boat. They're all asleep. Uh, he's asleep. They're, and, and the storm comes up. And they've never seen a storm like this. I mean, these guys were seasoned veterans. They'd never seen it like this. They began to panic. They were afraid they were going to die. You know the story. They wake Jesus up, and in their panic, they say, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? Don't you care that we are perishing? I'm going to die in this storm, this raging, running water. You've been there. And what does Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Jesus got up. He spoke to the storm, and it was instantaneously, immediately calm. Immediately. Now, here's the question. Now, who are they afraid of? They're afraid of him. Who is this? that even the wind and the sea obey his voice. Well, he's God. That's who he is. Who invented the wind and the sea and the oceans and the stars and the earth and the rotation of the earth. He upholds all things by the word of his power. It's Jesus. It's God, the creator and my sustainer and my provider. The Lord is my shepherd. What does verse 3 say? He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, here's the third thing he gives me. He gives me, uh, he gives me restoration. Restoration. Every night at twilight, the shepherd does the same thing. Every night. You know what he does? He counts his sheep. Every night. Don't you count your kids before you go to sleep? Usually. Yeah. And if one of the kids isn't home and they're supposed to be home, what happens? Well, suddenly you got anxiety. And, and you know, your wife... You know, get on the phone, da-da-da. And of course, where, 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 where's the kid? It doesn't make for a restful night if you don't know where your kids are. It doesn't make for a restful night if the shepherd doesn't know where his sheep are. Um, oftentimes what will happen as sheep are born and they develop, when they're young, these little sheep want to go their own way. And he'll count the sheep, and one night he's missing a sheep. It's usually a young sheep. By the way, Isaiah says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. See, we always think we know better than God how our lives ought to go and the right path. 
So these young stupid sheep run off. Let's say there's a little young sheep missing. He'll bed down the other sheep. He'll go look for this sheep. Might take him several hours. Little sheep doesn't know that he's defenseless. A, 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 an animal can take him down in 30 seconds. He could fall off a cliff. He doesn't know that. When the shepherd finds him, he'll pick him up, put him around his shoulders, take him back, bed him down. A couple nights later, same drill. He's missing a sheep. It's that same wandering sheep. Beds the other sheep. He goes and looks for several hours. This time when he finds the little sheep, here's what he'll do. He will bend down next to that little sheep. He will extend his leg. He will take one of the legs of the little sheep, put it across his thigh. He has a long, heavy staff. And as he puts the little leg of the sheep across his thigh, with a swift move, he will take the staff and he will break the leg of the sheep and fracture it. And the little sheep cries out in pain. He's never seen the shepherd act like this before. He doesn't understand it. He carefully puts him around his shoulders, takes him back, beds him down, will put a splint on, uh, will carry the sheep for several days until he can hobble. And that little sheep with the broken leg doesn't understand the cruelty of the shepherd. Doesn't understand it at all. But you see, it's not cruelty, it's actually kindness. Because if that little sheep is actually going to survive in life, it must learn the central lesson of being a sheep. And the central lesson of being a sheep is that you must stay close to the shepherd. You cannot wander off from Jesus. All you're going to do is ruin your life. I'll never forget Steve Orell, who just went to be home to be with the Lord, just died this months ago. I met Steve at a conference. My brother Jeff brought him. I was teaching on Psalm 23. And as I finished this verse, we prayed and we were going to pick it up in the next session. And my brother Jeff walks up to me with this guy probably in his 40s who's got a cane and who's got a serious limp. And then Steve Varell told me, Jeff said, tell him your story. And grew up in Texas, had spent the last, I believe, 18 years in Huntsville prison. Uh, months and months and months in solitary. Just a hard case. Finally was released, got out, got on a motorcycle, and was going a hundred and something miles an hour. Hits a truck head on. Shatters his leg. And finally he listened. Finally. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Aurel walked up to me and he said, you know, I was listening to what you were saying. He said, he literally broke my leg to save my life. That's when I found Christ. And you know what Steve Rell did the rest of his life? He worked with addicts in the Bay Area. And he walked with a limp. A lot of guys walked in here tonight with a limp. Not a physical limp. But see, oftentimes, to restore us, we're so hard-hearted and stubborn that in order to rescue us, He's got to break our legs to restore us. And when he breaks your leg, he normally breaks your heart. But it's all for a purpose. It's not to destroy, it's to restore. If you're limping, it's the goodness of God to get your attention.
Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word and for your truth, for these principles from sheep. And as we read this psalm, we see ourselves. What a gracious and kind God you are. Those times of rest that we don't want, but we need. The leadership you give us, the restoration. What a Savior, what a shepherd, what a God. How grateful we are for your grace. In the name of the great shepherd we pray, the Lord Jesus, amen.